Today on Simply Complex, we talk about how something as seemingly simple as making candy corn... I still have the sugar stains on the ceiling. I've tried scrubbing it several times. It's getting lighter, but it's still there a little bit. Can send you to the hospital if you don't know what you're doing. The gloves I use, I've heard of people, try this themselves, who've gotten the sugar to splash up above the glove and go inside the glove. You burn through a tendon, it doesn't grow back. This is episode one of Simply Complex, brought to you by the team at How to Make Everything and Studio 71. So the other day, I was grocery shopping for normal food, not Halloween candy. There was this massive display of candy corn that was all set up. There was traditional candy corn, chocolate candy corn, some other weird flavors, and those pumpkins. The more I thought about it, it's such a simple candy. It's kind of bland, but it's, it's just weird, like I, the texture and everything. But you tried to make candy corn last year. I did try to make candy corn last year. And it was, like usual, way more difficult as I expected, and a ton of things went wrong. In today's modern world, we are always in such a hurry. We rarely stop to think about the things that keep the gears turning. On Simply Complex, we explore the people, technologies, items, and processes that, while at one point were considered outstanding have today become so commonplace, we take them for granted. Why did you make candy corn, Andy? Well, candy corn is kind of a divisive candy in that uh, there's a lot of haters, but I am not. I absolutely adore it. It is almost an addiction. Um <laughs> You mean it's not too, like, bland and waxy for you? I don't know what it is, but once I start eating it, I cannot stop because it's amazing and I love it and I eat it until I hate it. <laughs> and some people, they hear that I like candy corn, so they buy me a bag of candy corn. And that's, that's like, really a cruel thing to do. It's like giving an addict some drugs. <laughs> it's like, you give it to me, I'm going to enjoy it for a moment, but then I'm going to eat too much and then I'm going to hate it and hate myself and hate you for giving it to me. Thanks. <laughs> so when you were trick-or-treating as a kid, did you just always hope for the house that had the candy corn? I don't know. You don't really get that trick-or-treating, I don't feel. I feel like the, the whole small little baggies of it came later, like after I was too old. Mm. So it was like more of like it was on the dresser or the table as set decoration sort of sort of thing. I remember we had a bowl of candy corn and like the pumpkin versions on our kitchen table or kitchen counter for a while. And I some, yeah, something about it, even though I like it wasn't my favorite candy, I could still just eat it all. Oh, yeah. I think my mom would do that, have a bowl out of it. And I think that stopped after it kept disappearing mysteriously. <laughs> <laughs> Before we talk about candy corn too much, you actually made it from scratch. Yes, I was so inspired by my borderline obsession with it that I want to try making it myself. And I, one thing I was really intrigued about is the fact that it's a candy named after a corn, a vegetable. And it's like not really made from corn, except it kind of is because it uses corn syrup. So I was like, can I actually take corn that I pick and make it into candy corn? So that was that was my hook. That's what what I started from. In the process of collecting corn maize corn, did you research where candy corn came from? 
I did. And um, there's not necessarily a ton of information about it. It was originally called Chicken Feed and was they first made it in like the 1880s. And uh, it was bought out by this one company that eventually became Jelly Belly and uh, just eventually kind of became associated with the Harvest Festival of uh, Halloween. That is way more straightforward than I imagined. Yeah, there's there's no convoluted story behind it or anything. So it seems like a simple candy, but it wasn't. No. Um, I mean, in the history, it used to be made by hand. I was like, oh, I could do that again. But I was kind of curious to try and uh, replicate it. I think part of what appealed to me is that it's a very manufactured candy. It's very, you don't really know what's in it necessarily. Like it says there's honey in it, but not really that much. <laughs> so where I started to actually make it myself was I looked at the ingredients and then I just kind of had to Google what a few things were and figure out what role they were playing in it and uh, figure out how I could either make that or make something similar to it. And so I broke it down. The one thing I found is that it was, it did involve a fair amount of actual corn products. You have the corn starch, which is usually used to kind of release it from a mold that you put it in. You have corn syrup. Uh, most often it's uh, actually a high fructose corn syrup used in the place of sugar because it's generally cheaper. But I haven't figured out how to actually do that. So I also used sugar cane, as I mentioned in the video. There is there's usually some sort of coating on the outside of it, which sometimes can be made out of corn itself. And I looked into it and it's a very complex process that I wasn't able to do. So I decided maybe I'll try beeswax instead. So it is like kind of wax. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a wax. Um, it's actually, I think what's oftentimes used is actually an insect, kind of mm -hmm. like the cochineal that I used for the red dye, only it's used as a source of wax. Oh, cool. Um, and there's also usually a gelatin in it. I don't know if it, if it's in a modern recipe. I got that more from like the old recipes that they used to do. That's supposed to be what helps give it its form and texture. The colors, which was pretty key. The white is just the sugar itself. And that was one of the biggest challenges is that white sugar is actually pretty difficult to do than for then you need a yellow and an orange or a yellow and red if you know how to mix colors, which yeah. I, I got that down in kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was able to use some past things like the cochineal that I got in Mexico, and then I grew some turmeric, which uh, actually bought mostly growing um, as little sprouts, um, but they arrived like damaged and like a week late or something because there was like a hurricane that hit just then. And uh, it looked like the box went through the hurricane. So they like, arrived dead. And I like nursed them back to life and uh, ended up harvesting one to make the candy corn. And the other one is in the other room by the window. Oh, that's what that is. Yeah. Oh, okay. So when I saw the video, I was really surprised at how difficult it was actually to make the cornstarch and syrup. Mm -hmm. And get, like purify the sugar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, purifying sugar has been a kind of a challenge, an ongoing challenge. Um, I eventually got pretty close in the follow-up video on candy canes, but I'll talk about that later. But yeah, it's very difficult to keep something white without caramelizing when it's temperature sensitive and you're trying to remove all the water. Every other attempt I've done, I've ended up caramelizing it, and this what happened again in this attempt. So what were the main ingredients you had to collect to actually make the candy corn? I mean, the one that I hadn't collected before, a lot of these things, I was able to reuse old things. I was able to reuse the sugar cane. I was able to reuse, I don't think I even used honey, um, but I could have if I wanted to. I, I used some beeswax, the cochineal. The things that I needed that were new was the corn, 
and the turmeric. Gotcha. And then the bone. And then the bone. Technically already had it, just hadn't used it for anything yet. Uh, was there anything, like once you finally finished the process, that you were able to kind of take forward and use in other projects? Yeah, in this I kind of explored a few possible ways to try and uh, make white sugar, which has been pretty elusive. Um, if you aren't familiar, when you get sugar from either the sugar beet or the sugar cane, it's mixed with molasses. And in the industry, they separate it through a few different methods to produce the pure white sugar. And then there's some that has a little bit of molasses in it, and that's brown sugar. And then they have all the molasses extracted from molasses itself. And then the waste of that is then kind of waste, and that's actually what's often used for making rum. Oh, no way. Yeah. They use all parts of the sugar cane. <laughs> so sugar cane is really green. but you are... In the literal sense, it is green. Yeah, in the literal sense, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I didn't answer the question of like what I carried forward. Yeah. So what did you actually carry forward? So from that, I learned that all those methods are not very effective. <laughs> and in the next one, I actually saw a video by uh, Cody of Cody's Lab where he crystallized his sugar by just um, using uh, desiccant, where a chemical would suck the moisture out of the actual molasses sugar. And that way... You don't have to add any heat at all. Because even with the um, the vacuum chamber, where I was able to boil it at a lower temperature, that was still causing caramelization. So using Cody's method, you're able to do it without any heat, pretty much. And then I was able to get almost white sugar. It's not fully white sugar because it still has the molasses in it, but it has no caramelization. Hmm. And that was really interesting because that means all the other processes, all the other results I've gotten have had some form of caramelization in it. That's super interesting. And then you used all this knowledge and all your failures, and then you tried again later to make candy canes. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was very much a learning experience and um, did a lot of things I just tried at, see what happens. So then when, um, afterwards, I wanted to give it a second shot and uh, hopefully get a little bit closer. And that's when I did the candy cane and uh, kind of repeated a few of the same things, but... Uh, was able to get a much better white sugar, which ended up getting a much lighter result in the final thing. Still had limitations because of the molasses, so they were kind of earth-toned, which I feel it just makes it a little bit more rustic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's less like, oh, that's white, yellow, and orange. The uh, the candy corn, like I was just trying to figure it out on my own, see what I can do. And we kind of, with the series, go back and forth. Like, how much should I just be blindly doing on my own? How much should I have uh, an expert there holding my hand through it? The difference in result is always black and white. Sometimes I get something kind of close by myself, but usually it's more likely to fail. Um, so we want to do a follow-up. So we brought on in an expert who's an actual chef to help guide me. And we went through the whole process with him, and then we realized we didn't bring gloves. He didn't bring gloves. So we had to stop at a certain stage. And he's like, well, now you're gonna have to do it yourself. Do it again by yourself with gloves. <laughs> <laughs> when I did it on my own, I made another mistake because I, I was trying to make two different colors and I want to do it as few steps as possible. So I added the extracts with the coloring uh, later. And that ended up messing up the water concentration, which changes the consistency and made it go from a hard candy cane to a chewy candy cane. Mm. which I thought was really interesting. Like they seem like completely different things, but just like just a little bit more moisture and changes the whole characteristics of the candy bar. That's crazy. 
And then from that video, Lofty Pursuits reached out. Yeah. Um, I mean, on that video, like every third comment is like, go watch Lofty Pursuits. They actually know what they're doing. You should talk to them. Talk to Lofty Pursuits. And uh, haven't had the chance to do that quite yet, but hopefully uh, be able to do something with them. Yeah. Like, like right now. Like, yeah. Let's uh, give Greg a call. All right. First, uh, I want to congratulate you on basically being the official expert on candy making on YouTube, it seems, because I had like <laughs> almost 150 people, different people recommend I check out your channel. <laughs> so you're pretty well known. Oh, I, I think that's funny. Well, can you tell me about the whole, uh, you use Victorian era uh, technology for your candy, right? I use Victorian technology and equipment and styles. And yeah, I, I got fascinated with this. Can you uh, explain a little bit how you got into that? I had somebody teaching me. This is not something you can teach by a video. I stand on the shoulders of giants. I couldn't have figured this out because so much of candy making is invisible. It's touch, it's smell, it's feel of the temperature on your face. It's using the information you have to figure out the information you can't measure. Does that make sense? Yeah. When I made mine, one of the things I did wrong was uh, getting the, the water level moisture amount wrong, right? You did. And I one of the problems people say, give me your recipe. The recipe is sugars and water. <laughs> Flavor and color is just such a small percentage. It doesn't affect anything. But the question is, how temp high do you cook it to? And I can't tell you. It depends on your air pressure. For me, I'm adjusting it for when storm fronts come through. I can get almost a three degree temperature change. Wow. And that's enough to mess me up. It's crazy. You know, I was noticing in the hur when the hurricane came through, God, it changed the boil, it dropped the boiling point of water in my region when the hurricane came through by, I think, 14 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. And then the humidity changes it also. So you can't do just time because the more humidity in the air, the less moisture can evaporate out at any given point. Do you see where I'm going? It all becomes a chain reaction. So you're constantly adjusting it, and this is why you need to apprentice. It took me about six months before I could consistently make a candy that didn't burn or didn't melt. Wow. Or didn't go liquid when you poured it. Yeah. And that's why people have gotten injured. What makes it so dangerous? Well, it's 310-degree, very tasty napalm. <laughs> it likes to spread. And if you have some water in it and the water hasn't mixed completely because you're using the wrong pot, that water wants to explode when it hits your cooling surface, make a nice bubble popping through the surface and spraying hot sugar everywhere. <laughs> if you don't pour it evenly, you can also trap an air bubble and an air bubble will rise right out. And if it's too liquidy and it explodes, you get a little spray of, well, I've gotten more third degree burns up and down my arms and a couple on my face than I'd like to admit. Truthfully, it's no worse than anyone who's done a uh, learned how to use a fry cooker in a restaurant. It's about the same temperature. And since it's water soluble, you can actually get it off with water. But that doesn't make it any better. You know, um, the gloves I use, I've heard of people try this themselves who've gotten the, the sugar to splash up above the glove and go inside the glove. Ooh. That's a good way to lose control of your muscles permanently. You burn through a tendon. It doesn't grow back. <sighs> Ouch. Yeah, this stuff's dangerous. So you usually don't recommend that uh, people do this on their own then without some experience? Well, people can. I don't recommend they handle it. There's stuff like stained glass and hard tack candy that can do it. I think hard candy is something which is iffy to do at home. 
But that being said, taffy doesn't get as hot. Hmm. So you'd recommend starting with taffy, maybe? Clearly. Once you get enough water out of the sugar, you have a problem with something called, I think it's the Brunelli effect. Have you ever dropped um, milk into coffee and seen it swirl on its own? Yeah. That's because thermal eddies are moving around the liquid because of the water in the uh, coffee. As I understand it, when you get the moisture content low enough, the solution becomes so viscous that those motions are weaker than the thickness of the fluid that's left, and the heat doesn't want to move. So you don't have, you have the sugar staying in the same spot. So hot spots stay hot and cool spots stay cool. I am not totally sure you can do this well without a large enough heat source. I mean, this problem also happens in chocolate, which is why they use a double boiler. But chocolate melts at like 150 degrees, mm-hmm. not 310. We're so high above the boiling point of water that you can't use a double boiler. Mm. But for you, the only way to measure temperature on this thing is using the ice water test. Are you familiar with this? No, I don't think so. Well, I'm going to tell you how the French do this. And you can find some videos online of some French chefs doing this, and it terrifies me. <laughs> they boil the sugar. Yeah. They use a really, really thick copper or cast iron pot over the right stovetop, a multi-ring stovetop. And then when they think the sugar is the right speed, they stick their fingers into a container of ice water. And they then stick it into the hot sugar. And I'm going to start with the statement, don't do this at home. You will get burned. I don't do this. A thin layer of steam theoretically forms around your wet fingers, acting as an insulating layer before it burns you. It's the same way you lick your finger and touch the bottom of an iron and it goes hiss and it doesn't burn you. Or you drop a droplet of water on a little on a cast iron skillet that's heated up and it'll bounce around forever on that little cushion of steam it creates. I know the physics behind it. I still don't believe it's going to work with my fingers. I like my fingers. <laughs> yeah. And they grab out a little ball of sugar, and then they stick it back in the ice water, and they feel it in their fingers. And by it being, well, this is where the difference, different things is. If you pull your fingers apart and it makes a thread, that's called first thread. Then there's second thread, there's softball, there's hardball, there's first crack, there's hard crack. Each one of these things is the how the sugar behaves. And this is independent of air pressure or temperature. Mm -hmm. I have never had the um, cojones to try this myself. (laughs) I have seen people do this. I've seen people drop drops of uh, sugar in with a spoon and then reach in and grab it. But as I understand, that only works for softball. Once you get to hardball, it doesn't work anymore because you have have to feel it and you have to feel the cracks instantly with your fingers. Wow. Everybody has their own way of doing this, and that's fun. Yeah. So you you do kind of an old school Victorian era style. Do you know how that compares with how candy is made today? Oh, it's made almost identically today. I mean, the differences are more mechanization, larger batches, and frankly, a craving to make it as cheaply as possible. I mean, when you consider how many more rolls of Lifesavers you can get for the same amount of money as the bags of my candy... You get it there. And the only place they can really cut costs, because sugar is sugar, I buy it in large enough quantities that I'm getting roughly the same price as everyone else. And corn syrup is corn syrup, or tapioca syrup is tapioca syrup. The prices, quantity breaks are really in the 3 to 5% range, not enough to affect anything. The fact is I'm using much, much better flavors. And of course, I'm using equipment that's hand-cranked, and I'm actually using equipment that was made during the Victorian period. Most people and most candy companies are just not worried about the candy tasting interesting. Hmm. 
They just sort of hit a minimum standard. I mean, can you think of the last time, if it wasn't my candy, and I don't know if you've tried my candy, that you tried a piece of hard candy and you went, wow. Yeah, I don't know. It may have stopped you from coughing, but it's, you know, <laughs> that's about it. Yeah. I like making people happy. Yeah. I like connecting to my ingredients. Oh, by the way, you had another problem with your uh, cane syrup thing you didn't realize. Yeah, what's that? Particulate matter. How did the particulate matter that came out of the cane syrup, because you didn't filter it, affect the temperature of the cooking? Mm. You see, you used pure cane sugar in the test batch when you were learning. Yeah. But you didn't use that in the final batch. And I can tell you from my own experience using cane syrup, it increases the temperature you have to cook it to. But you have another problem. Those particulates can still burn. I've not really found a good solution without cutting it with some cane sugar. Hmm. So have you ever tried to make candy corn yourself? Candy corn? Um, No, because that's actually a different process. Candy corn is, it's a liquid process and it uses something called panning as part of it. I'm not totally sure how the center is made. I'm assuming it's a sherbet, not to be confused with the sherbet that is used for frozen sherbet here in the United States. This is the British term. It's a candy filling. It is typically made by making something, cooking something almost to hard sugar level and then beating it forever. If two people made it on one of my candy cooling tables, they would both use something resembling a hoe and they'd be pulling it back and forth for about two hours. Wow, And this is called a creaming of sugar, and it's how they make the center of chocolates and things like that. There's something called a ball creamer, which does this mechanically. And then you take this material and you drop it out of a funnel, usually a forced funnel, into molds. And the molds are not molds made out of metal. They're made out of cornstarch. Are you familiar with cornstarch molding? A little bit, yeah. So they take a tray of cornstarch, they press things into it, and then they drop it. This is the same way jelly beans are made. If you think about it, Isn't a candy corn a lot like a jelly bean, just different flavors? Mm -hmm. So then once they make the center, dusted with cornstarch, they put it in a tumbler, which is called a panning machine. I've seen this done. And the big companies have these giant tumblers. I once went to a now-defunct candy equipment repair shop in the Bronx in New York. I wish I had a camera. And they were replating these tumblers for uh, Jelly Belly, the company that makes Jelly Bellies. And they were about the size of a good-sized satellite antenna. It looked more like somebody was trying to do a, the SETI program than make candy. So they fill this thing full of these things, and they tumble them, and they slowly put in layer after layer of hard candy, if it was something like an M&M, or in the candy like this, colored waxes, which cover the outside of it. Same thing for jelly beans or harder candy to keep things from sticking together. And this is called panning. And it's actually possible to do this at home because it's also how they make Jordan almonds and coat things with chocolate. They make a nice little attachment for a KitchenAid for like $800 if you want to do it. (laughs) None of the stuff's cheap. And because you really need it chromed and perfectly smooth or the candy starts gluing itself to any scratches, I'm told this isn't an easily hackable thing. Although Lord knows I've wanted to try just for the fun of it. Yeah. (laughs) So, um... I'm actually intrigued with your uh, cane sugar stuff because you actually approached it from a different direction than they would have done it back in the day because you don't have the books. I actually have a collection of candy making books dating back to, I think, the 1820s. Yeah. Some of these may be the only copy. So first of all, Hmm. they wouldn't have used corn. They just wouldn't have. Hmm. They would have used barley. Have you ever heard of barley candy? No. It was a type of German candy 
and I guess British as well, that dates back to the 1700s. You know, you need glucose syrup and sucrose syrup. You, I think you covered that in your video. And you were getting the sucrose out of the, the sugar cane, but you were trying to get the glucose out of the corn. And it's very hard to get glucose out of the corn because you actually didn't get the corn to sprout. To get it out best, you need to use dried corn kernels and you want them to sprout a little bit because that'll convert the starch oh. to the glucose. And that's how they do it. The best way to learn how to do this stuff with barley is the beer makers do it to this day. They use dried but sprouted barley. Hmm. Uh, I think they call it spelt or something. I'm not a beer maker. So if I get this wrong, please out there, don't yell at me too badly. <laughs> I know the technology. I don't know the tools. And they boil it until they get a syrup. And then they strain out all the seed bits and they take that syrup down to a thick syrup. But if you were a candy maker in, say, 1790 or 1800 Germany maybe 1850, you would have done this and then you would have used that liquid that was still a waterish liquid and you would have added your sugar to that and cooked it. Okay. You would have made a glucose solution and it would have been a glucose water solution. And then you would have added the sucrose and you would have cooked that down to temperature. Okay. And if you look back then to get the even heat, what they did was they used the same round pots, but they put it in beds of coal. Once again, they could shape the coal to evenly hit all the outside bits of the pot. Mm -hmm. No cold spots. I hope I'm a reasonable resource for the history of candy here. Oh, yeah. You were much more knowledgeable than I ever imagined. <laughs> Learning a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I started as an engineering major. So I have, uh, you know, I took organic chemistry and thermodynamics in college. So I can sort of puzzle some of this out. Hmm. So your candy didn't work because you didn't cook it hot enough. You probably didn't cook it on the right stove. And I'm going to tell you, if you did, it probably was going to crystallize down the line mm -hmm. because you didn't get enough glucose out of the corn. Mm. The way I would have done it, just to go back to this, I did send you that message back then, is I would have cooked the corn syrup to the point, or the sugar cane, to the point that it had a lot of water in it. Yeah. And then I would have filtered out the impurities. And the traditional way to have done this is with activated charcoal, just stirring it in. But I wonder if you could use something like a Brita water pitcher if you never wanted to use that filter again. Oh, yeah. I don't know if the charcoal isn't dense enough that it won't let any of the sugars through. Hmm. But you would filter it when it was hot and the sugars were very, very liquid. Yeah. So that might get rid of the impurities and get you to something really pure. The old 1800s cookbooks all talk about, well, if you can't get purified white sugar, you can turn brown sugar into white sugar. And it gives you instructions on how to do this with charcoal. And then it gives instructions on how to make charcoal yourself, activated charcoal yourself, in a fire with a closed can. Huh. If people want to get some of your candy, they will uh, buy it from your store or your website? Yep. They just go to our website, which is www.pd.net which is probably the best demonstration that I was one of the first online businesses when I sold juggling equipment off that domain name. Ah, <laughs> all right. Thanks. Thanks for your time and answer my questions. Now that it's been one year since you attempted this, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about this project, about making candy corn, totally messing it up, <laughs> and learning you messed it up? What are your thoughts? Uh, I would say it's very interesting to look back at that, because things have changed a lot in a year. First, I was doing this in my kitchen. I made such a huge mess. And uh, I feel like this project is probably what kind of pushed me towards, like, maybe I could do this somewhere else that isn't my kitchen 
and where I have to live. Um, so right now we're recording this in our studio, which we share with you, Taylor. Yes. Um, and we have our own little kitchen set here. We can make a mess here. And then at the end of the day, I can go home and not have a mess there. <laughs> it's really nice. Yeah. Um, I still have the sugar stains on the ceiling. I've <laughs> I've tried scrubbing it several times. It's getting lighter, but it's still there a little bit. Yeah, still still reaching for that elusive pure white sugar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had a property manager ask me about it. Like, is there, is there a leak going on? About like, no, no, I did that. I did that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but then uh, also uh, just this was kind of right when I was first starting to dabble more with chemistry and was just kind of like, I know adding chemicals to this and reacting it and whatnot. I have a vague idea. Um, since then, I've, I feel like I've really gone deeper into the whole chemistry rabbit hole and like learning more about it and i have kind of a a complicated relationship with chemistry because there was a a brief period in my life where i thought i wanted to major in that honestly just because uh, i took a chemistry class i was good at it and a teacher wrote career candidate on my report card and i had no idea what i wanted to do with my life and i saw that i was like "Eh, okay (laughs) (laughs) but it fueled the curiosity that's led to this yeah so then I took a bunch of classes in chemistry, and I just didn't have a passion for it. I found a passion more in uh, filmmaking and storytelling, and I feel like that's somehow gone full circle now, and I'm suddenly uh, I'm doing filmmaking about chemistry. Uh, <laughs> it all uh, works out. <laughs> well, we should probably wrap this up. Right. Uh, this was super cool. I learned something today besides all the science. <laughs> Thanks to Lofty Pursuits for helping us out. Such a great conversation. We have a podcast coming out every week now. Uh, And so stay tuned, subscribe, tell your friends, especially if they like candy, especially if they like Andy. And if you want to know more behind the scenes of what happens if you try to make everyday stuff on your own. Thanks for subscribing and listening. See you next time. So we're about to record another podcast, but on my way to the studio, I decided that I'd get Andy some candy corn because I'm just about to finish wrapping that up. So, we'll see what he says. Hey, Andy, I did get you something. Oh, no. <laughs> I warned you about this. <laughs> no. Yeah, so I got chocolate. Yeah, one's like a mixed bag. One's chocolate, and one's like original. Oh. They make chocolate. Yeah. I'm a purist. It's, it's gotta be regular. I know. I know. It's like, I didn't get any other flavors though. It seemed like they didn't have as much as I remember. But yeah, I'm gonna take a bag and I'll leave the bag out of here. <laughs>